I know many of you have been looking forward to this sermon in the room and those who are online as we talk about snakes, but let me invite your attention. Numbers chapter 21. I want to start the message off by telling something about me that you don't know. It's not on my resume. I didn't talk about it with the search committee, but you need to know that. I was a snake handler at one point and uh, for about a minute of my life. It was a it was a Sunday afternoon and we were having a kids event and Ann's and I were at the kids event and there was a little boy who came to the kids event. It was outdoors and he had a ring snake in his hand. And for the truth of the story, it was about that long, but for the illustration, it was about this big. And so he, he's holding it and he wants me to see it and then he wants me to hold it. And I said, I'm, son, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I just don't like snakes, period. And he said, well, you ought to hold it. It's innocent. It's going to be good. I said, you don't understand. I don't like snakes. No. And so he goes on, I go about my business, and then I look around, and there's this little girl. She's walking around, and she's got this ring snake in her hand. Again, the truth of the story, it's about this long. For this illustration, it's probably about this big now. And so she's got it, and she said, why don't you hold it? And I thought, you know, if that little boy can do that, and this little girl can do that, I need to pull out my man card and hold this viper in my hand. And so I said, just put it in my hand. And so they put that ring snake in my hand. I was a snake handler for about probably less than a minute or so. And just to make sure you understand, that Sunday night, Angie and I went home and we sat down and we watched a Hallmark movie together. So I strive for balance, handling snakes in the afternoon and then watching Hallmark movies at night. And just to make sure I keep my balance in life. Angie one time, oh, by the way, too, was almost a snake handler in her life. Uh, we were in the Holy Land. We were at the Caesarea by the sea. And so we were walking around looking and we were talking about the significance of that place. And Angie put her hand upon a rock wall. And as she put her hand upon the rock wall, someone said, move your hand quickly. Because right above her in one of the crevices of that wall was a Palestinian viper. The deadliest snake in Israel was right above her. So she was almost a snake handler. And uh, didn't even realize it. But snakes, I'm not a fan of snakes. Interesting about snakes. When you think about this area, you've got copperheads and you've got rattlesnakes. A lot of deadly snakes in our area. And then all sorts of different kinds of snakes. Uh, Some people would say red and yellow kill a fella. I think that's true. I'm not going to get close enough to really see. Some people would say this. A good snake is a dead snake. Is that true? Anybody have a witness there? A good snake is a dead snake. But interesting enough, in Tennessee, by the way, I read this last night. It is illegal to kill a snake in Tennessee. How many lawbreakers do we have in the room? You're watching. But here's what they said. They have some exceptions to it. If the snake is causing you harm or danger, you can kill it. And then they went on to say, if it's in your house, you can kill it. Now, I would say if it's in the house, I'm not sure if we're going to kill it or not. The house is going to be for sale. Pretty sure of that. It's time to move if there's a viper in the house. But snakes... I want to invite your attention to God's Word. When you and I look at the Scripture, we find over 80 references to snakes, serpents, vipers in the Scripture. For example, Genesis 3. You follow along. These are not on your teaching outline, but I want you to see these. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. In reference to Satan. Look at this in Exodus chapter 4. Moses, a servant of God, the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a serpent, a snake. 
Numbers chapter 21 in the text we're looking at today, the people of Israel are being bitten by snakes. They're dying. They come to Moses. They confess their sin. Would you pray to God and ask him to remove the snakes snakes from our midst? And Moses prays. And God says, you put a fiery serpent upon a pole and anyone who looks at that serpent will live and not die. God's ways are very, very different than ours. Then we see Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And here's what he says to them. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And then in Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul, what an incredible spiritual life he lived. But in Acts chapter 28, he's on the island of Malta. And here's what happens. He's around a campfire. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So here's Paul standing around a campfire. A viper comes out, latches onto his hand, and he's got it there. And the Bible goes on to say he didn't pass out. He didn't run. It says, however, he shook the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. The people looked at him, and they thought he was going to swell up and die on the spot. He did not do so, and they said, he must be a god then. You imagine Paul, that viper on his hand, just shakes it off. The man of God that he was and goes on about his ministry and doing that. I was in Asia one time and I was meeting with a group of house church leaders in this remote area in the middle of nowhere. And so we get out there and we have a little orientation time with these leaders, probably 20 or 30 leaders. And so they get, they, we sit down together and they say, here's where you're going to sleep. And it was a plank of, just a plank, it was a piece of board, piece of wood. And they said, it's going to be your bed for the next three nights. And so I, that didn't look very comfortable to me. But I thought, hey, it is what it is. And then they gave me a flashlight and they said, you're going to need this because we have no indoor plumbing here, no indoor facilities. So if you have to go to the restroom at night, you need to go outside. You can use this flashlight to be able to see. And then they made this statement. They said, also, when you go out at night, you need to be realize we have snakes here. And this remote area again, and I thought, well... I ask a lot of questions, so I asked the leaders, I said, okay, so I've got a flashlight. You say there are snakes here. What kind of snakes are we talking about? And they spoke up and they said, well, one, we have cobras. And I said, really? And they said, but if you go out at night and you shine that flashlight in the eyes of a cobra, it's going to go away. And I said, sure it will. Yeah, <laughs> sure it's going to do that. And they said, it's going to go away. And they said, it will, it'll go away. And then they said, but we have a second snake. It's gray with black rings around it, and we don't, uh, we don't even know what the name of it is. But just so you'll know, the flashlight doesn't affect it at all. I said, really? And so I, I looked at the situation, and I thought, well, one, the snakes are out there, but the way this place is constructed, they could just as easily be in here. So I'm going to sleep with one eye, one eye open, by the way, anyway. And then the missionary I was with, I said to him, I said, just so you'll know, I'm drinking no liquids after lunch whatsoever. I am not going outside in the middle of the night. Because I said, again, I'm not like the Apostle Paul. If that viper gets on me, I'm not going to sling it off and live. I'm going to die. Because I asked those guys the second question of follow-up. I said, cobras and this other snake, if I got in here in the middle of the night and I get snake bit, what happens to me? And I think it got lost in translation a little bit. But they finally figured it out and they looked at them and they said, you're going to die. There's nothing we can do for you. Oh, Lord Jesus. In the midst of this place, I don't even know where I'm at to get out here and get bit by a, a viper in this place. But here's the situation in Numbers chapter 21. 
And I want to ask you these four questions. I would encourage you to write these down because they're going to drive each point as we walk through Numbers 21. First question is this. Is it easy or hard for you to wait upon God? See, waiting upon him, he works while we wait oftentimes. But as you think about your life, whatever age you are, is it easier or hard for you to wait upon God? God, your ways are perfect. Your timing is perfect. I'm simply waiting upon you. Second question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you spoke against God and against his servant? Has there ever been a time in your life you just realized, God, you're not fair, you're not treating us well, the servant of God's not leading? I speak against God and against his servant. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've done that? Third question. When's the last time you came before a holy, all-righteous God and you confessed your sin to him and said, God, before you, I have sinned against you? Fourth question. Have you made a commitment in your life, child, student, adult, have you made a commitment in your life to always obey the leadership of God? Whatever God asks you to do, it may not make sense to you, it may not make sense to other people around you, but whatever God asks you to do, God, I'm going to obey you. Have you made that commitment? Numbers chapter 21, I want us to walk through this together. We see God's word. These are on your outline. And I want you, I just encourage you to take good notes because we're going to come to the end of the day and we're lifting up the person of Christ, magnifying him. And I pray in the room or those who are watching, I pray today that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to radically and amazingly change your life. You'll never be the same as a result of this worship service. Now, as we think about that, look at number one. The problem then is the problem today. The problem then is the problem today. Here's what I mean by that. From Mount Hor, they set up by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Now, as you understand, Moses leading the people of God, it's not always easy to lead a large group of people. This is a large group of people. Moses is leading them from Egypt to the promised land. Now, as you think about the activity of God and how he works, it's not always a straight route. God is leading them with some twists and turns, but God's leadership is always perfect. They don't understand it, but the problem then is the problem today. You say, well, what was the problem then? So we'll know if it's a problem today. Let me get you, encourage you to write these three things down. Number one, becoming impatient. As you look at this text, as they were going from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, land of Edom and the people became impatient on the way. They looked at it and they thought, God, what is taking so long? I mean, why are we going all these twists and turns? Why don't we just make a straight path to go to the promised land? God, what are you doing? They became impatient on the way. They simply did not think God was moving fast enough. How many of us in our lives have become impatient with our Heavenly Father at some point? God, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. But this time, God, I should have a job. But this time, God, I should have said I do and I'm married. God, but this time we should have a house or even a bigger house. And ultimately what happens in life, we get impatient with God. And if we're not careful, here's what we'll do. God, you're not moving fast enough. I'll take this situation into my own hands. And then we get ahead of God's leadership. That is always unwise to get ahead of the leadership of God. 
The people of Israel, as they were traveling, following Moses' leadership, they became impatient. God, you're just not moving fast enough. I would imagine there are those of us in this room and those of us who are watching, we at some point in our lives, our journey, have become impatient with God to say, God, what is taking you so long? But I just want to encourage you. When you look in the Bible and you see the people whom God used, all of them knew how to wait upon God because when you wait upon God, God is working. You want to stay in step with him. Don't become impatient with the Heavenly Father. Follow his leadership. Second thing I want you to see here, number two, is spewing criticism. So it's one thing to become impatient with God. It's another thing to speak against him. So this says the people became impatient on the way. And the reason with that is the word that we call sin. They were sinning against the heavenly father. And in this second part, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. So here they are leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, twist and turns, following the leadership of God. They become impatient and they ultimately speak against God and against the servant of God who is Moses. They're taking it to another level. It's one thing to be impatient. It's another thing to speak against him and against his servant. It's one thing in life, again, constructive criticism is helpful. As long as it's spoken in love but also in truth, be careful about destructive criticism where you seek to tear someone else down rather than building that brother or sister in Christ up. And so as you look at this, you say the problem then is the problem today. Many times we become impatient and we also in our day, in our generation, even on social media, it is easy to criticize other people. And then number three, living ungrateful. The people here in this context, they were just living ungrateful. It says again, they became impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. I mean, they're just ungrateful. I mean, God has provided for them. He's protected them. He's delivering them. He's given them a leader. He's meeting all their needs. And they are still ungrateful for that. So so as you think about your life, has there been a time in your life where you become impatient on the way? Has there been a time in your life where you speak against God and even the servants of God? And is there a time in your life where you're just living ungrateful to say, God, you've not provided for us. We hate what we're experiencing. If there's anyone in life who should be patient, anyone in life who should be building up and not tearing down, anyone in life who should be grateful, you and me who named the name of Jesus Christ should live that way because he has given us far more than we deserve or even need. But the problem then is the problem today, and here's the problem, it's the word sin. The people were disobeying God. We're living in a day and a generation where we don't like to even hear the word. We don't like to hear sermons. We don't like to hear references. Anything about sin. But the problem then is the problem of the day. They were sinning against God and we're sinning against him as well. But thanks be to God, we have forgiveness in him because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The problem then is the problem today. Number two, the result then is the result today. Now, it's interesting out of Numbers 21 when you see what is happening. The people are impatient. And the people here, not only are they impatient, but they're also speaking against God and his servant. And the people are living ungrateful. But what is the result? God did not turn a deaf ear to them. He did not close his eyes and say, I don't see them or hear them. He knew what they were doing. He knew they were impatient. He knew they were speaking against him, but also against Moses. He knew they were living an ungrateful life. And God deals with sin. He'll always deal with sin. 
And you say, well, how did he deal with it? Well, the Bible gives us insight to that. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. There are always consequences to sin. Here's what Satan, the serpent, will do. He will say to you and me, sin is always fun. He will say to you and me, everyone is doing it. He, he will say to you and me, no one is ever going to know. And he will say to you and me, there are no consequences if you do that. That is a lie from him. And so I just encourage you, kids and students in this room, even adults, when you look at it, please understand, sin is not fun. Everyone is not doing it. You are going to be found out. Your sin will find you out. But also there are always consequences when you sin against God and his word. Now as you and I think about that, I just encourage you to write these two statements down. As you think about what I'm talking about, the result then is the result today. Sin always has consequences. Always. I mean, it may look fun on the surface. There are always consequences. But also understand, whatever you sow, you will also reap. That is a biblical principle. You sow to the sinful nature, you'll reap destruction. You sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. Sin always has consequences. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. That applies to whatever age you are. Now, as you look at it, the result then is the result today. What are the results of sin? I've given you three words here I want you to write down. One is bondage. As you and I think about what it means to sin against God, to miss the mark, to disobey Him, sin against Him by what we say or what we think or what we do, when you and I sin against Him, it leads to bondage. Please understand, Jesus Christ went to a cross and gave His life, shed His blood, and died on that cross for you and me so that we could live free, not in bondage. And so I just challenge you today, when you think about sin and you disobey God and you walk away from his standards and his absolute truths, it leads to bondage. There are probably people in this room and there are people who are watching right now and you're living not free, but you're living in bondage. Why? You have sinned against Almighty God. Second word is the word misery. As you think about this idea, you look at the life of David. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man that, that sought to obey God and then somewhere he didn't handle temptation well on the rooftop one night. And what had happened in his life, he sinned against Bathsheba but ultimately sinned against God. Psalm 51, he confessed his sin to God. But in Psalm 32, David is a miserable man. And when you think about sin, it will lead to bondage but it will also lead to misery. There are people in the room and watching. You are in bondage and you are miserable. Why? Because you have unconfessed sin in your life. Sin will do that to you. It'll make you in bondage, but it'll also make you miserable. Number three is dysfunction. When you think about this idea, sin leads to dysfunction in life. Why are so many people in life and marriage and family and even nations and even churches dysfunctional? You know why? It's sin in their lives. They're disobeying God, and it leads to dysfunction in life. Let's encourage you again. Please understand the result then is the result today. Sin always has consequences it did for the people of Israel. Fire serpents in their midst. Whatever you sow, you're also going to reap. You sow to the sinful nature, destruction. You sow to the spirit, eternal life. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So please understand, if you're in bondage or you're miserable or there's dysfunction in your life, look at your relationship with God. Have you sinned against Him? The problem then is the problem today. The result then is the result today. Look at number three. The need then is the need today. 
As you look at this text, what happened in the midst of that? As we see here, the people of Israel, these fiery serpents are among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And here's the need. They came to Moses then. Here's this spiritual encounter. Their eyes are being opened up. Here the, these snakes are everywhere. They're biting the people and they're dying. They come to Moses and they say to Moses, Moses, pray to God for us. And ask God to remove these fiery serpents from our midst. They're confessing their sin. And here's what they said to God. And even to Moses would say to God, God, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. We have sinned, God, against you. As you and I look at the Word of God, we see example after example of when people sinned against God. What did they do? They confessed their sin to Him. Nehemiah chapter 1, what a great leader Nehemiah was. What did he say in Nehemiah chapter 1? God, we have sinned against you, and God, my Father has sinned against you, and God, I have sinned against you. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the holiness of God after King Uzziah dies. He sees the holiness of God, and what does he do? He sees the sin and the lives of people, but Isaiah gets very personal and says, God, not only have they sinned, but God, woe is me. I've sinned against you as well. They're crying out with confession. You look in history, even spiritual, biblical history, you see some of the greatest moves of God in history. What was the catalyst of those moves? Yes, the Holy Spirit moved, but people started confessing sin to God and to one another. God, we've sinned against you, or God, I've sinned against you. And they came clean before a holy God, and he forgave their sin and moved in significant ways. May God do that same thing again in our day and our generation. We need the move of God in our day. Look at number one, be ready to confess. When's the last time you've been in a worship gathering or you've been in a prayer service and the people of God had gathered together? When's the last time in that worship gathering or that prayer service you heard a brother or sister in Christ or a group of God's people come to a microphone or stand up in a pew or stand up beside a chair and just say before God but also for other people, we need to know and I want you to know I have sinned against God. When's the last time you heard a group of people stand before a holy God and say, God, we have sinned against you? When's the last time we heard that? Be ready to confess. Let me say this on a couple of ways. I'll never forget when I was a 12-year-old boy. I'd been involved in a revival service as a boy at our little country church in Kentucky. The evangelist was preaching a salvation message about the person of Jesus Christ. My Sunday school teacher was spiritually concerned about me and some other boys in our class. And I sensed the Holy Spirit convicted me about my need to trust Christ. I was lost. I'd sinned against him and needed forgiveness. And then the next day on our basement steps at our house... I just said to the Lord because he convicted me, Lord, I've sinned against you and I'm lost and I need to be forgiven and I need to be saved. And the good news, the Lord Jesus Christ wonderfully saved me as a 12-year-old boy. I confess my need for him. I turn from my sin and put my trust in Christ. I want to say to you in the room or those who are watching, you may be 10, you may be 20, you may be 40, you may be 80. How many of you need to confess today to say, God, I've sinned against you. I need Jesus to forgive me. I need a personal relationship with him. 
We just appeal to you today in the room or watching that Jesus Christ is still saving people. He's the only way to be saved. You'll never be saved by good works. You'll never be saved by religious duties. You'll never be saved by church affiliation. You'll be saved because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. How many of you today, 10, 20, 40, 80 years of age, need to say today, I have sinned against the Lord. I need his forgiveness. I trust Jesus to be my Savior. How many in this room and watching again who are believers? Kids and students and adults. You're believers in Christ, but you look at your life and, and you've been bitten. Not by a fiery serpent, but by sin. And you're sinning against the Lord. You're living a lifestyle of sin. You're living outside of the will of God. You would just confess to him, God, I've been living unfaithful to you. God, I've been living outside of your will. God, I've been living like you don't even really exist. I have sinned against you. And God, I need forgiveness. The people of Israel came to Moses. They saw the problem. They knew the result. The need was, we need forgiveness. And they said to Moses, would you pray to God for us that he would remove these fire serpents from us that we could live and that we could be forgiven? I just challenge you today, non-believer, believer, be willing to confess from your heart to the heart of God. God, I need Christ. I need to be forgiven. Or God, I've sinned against you and I need forgiveness and a brand new start. And because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved today or because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven today. Because what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He'll change your life. Be ready to confess. Number two, be ready to minister. Who did they come to? They came to Moses. I mean, they'd spoken against God and they'd spoken against Moses, but they came to Moses and said, would you pray for us? And Moses is in a position to minister to them. And so what does he do? He prays to God for them. You and I need to be in a position to minister to people who need Christ, but be in a position to minister to people who are believers, who are living outside the will of God, who want to come home. Moms and dads, I challenge you, be ready in the lives of your kids to lead them to Christ, but also give them spiritual direction when they stray in relationship to him. Let God use you. Those of us here believers, we should be in a place where we are seeking people out who are outside of a relationship to Christ, who need a relationship with him. We should be praying for them and seeking them and seeking the Holy Spirit's leadership to have gospel conversations with people who need Christ or who need forgiveness in him. Last weekend, Angie and I were standing at a hotel parking lot in Memphis, Tennessee. And right above us was a billboard that had the picture of Summer Wells on it. They're all over Tennessee. This young girl that's been missing since the middle of June. And there are people who are seeking to, trying to find her. There are billboards all over our state saying, if you know anything about her, call this number. We'd like to find her. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, standing in that hotel parking lot, convicted me of this. How many lost people are out there outside of relationship to Christ? If they died today, would spend eternity in hell, separated from him. And it's, it's tragic to be lost. But how many of those lost people have no one searching for them? Almighty God is... 
But there's no one praying for that person. No one seeking to build a relationship. No one seeking to have a gospel conversation. That is tragic in life. Someone to be lost outside of Christ and no one searching for them in the spiritual life to say, I've got the greatest news that can change your life. Are you ready to confess? But also, are you ready to minister? Moses heard the confession and he was ready to serve and minister. Number four, The command then is the command today. What did God do in Numbers 21? People came to Moses, we sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Prayed the Lord that he'll take away the serpents from us. What did Moses do? Moses lifted his voice to God, so Moses prayed for the people. He's just crying out to God, and I'm sure he probably said, God, would you remove these fiery serpents from them, as they have asked And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a fiery serpent. I want you to set it on a pole. Everyone who is bitten, who sees it, shall live. I mean, that's not what Moses prayed. Moses prayed that maybe the snakes would be removed. That's what the people wanted, but God had a different plan. And God said, I'm not going to remove the serpents, but I want you to put a fiery serpent upon a pole. I want you to lift it up in the people. When someone is bitten by a snake, if they'll look at that fiery serpent, that bronze serpent, that person's going to live and not die. God's ways are different than ours. How many of us would have sent our only son to a cross to die for you and me? That's the Father's plan for us. His ways are different. I'm going to ask you these three questions. Number one, what is God's assignment? I mean, God's assignment for Moses. Moses, I want you to, I want you to put on a pole a fiery serpent, and I want you to exalt it before the people. That was God's assignment for him. What's God asking you to do today? In the room and online. What's God asking you to do? Is he, is, he, is he convicting you that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ today? Is he leading you that you need to follow him in Bible baptism as we witness today? Is he leading you to be a part of this church that you could serve here and grow here, fellowship here? Is he leading you to do that? Is he calling you into Christian ministry that God's got this incredible plan on your life? Your yes needs to be on the table. Is he calling you today? Is he leading you to confess some sin in your life that you've sinned against God and sinned against someone else and you need to come clean before him? Is he leading you to minister to somebody who needs Jesus or somebody who is a believer is living outside of his will? How is God leading you? What is his assignment for you in your life? For Moses, if Moses put this fiery serpent on a pole, that's my assignment for you. Question number two, are you fully surrendered? Moses, what did Moses do when he heard what God said? He got a pole and he got a fiery serpent and he put the serpent on the pole and lifted it before the people. He did what God asked him to do. I want to ask you in this worship gathering, you understand what God wants you to do, but the question is, what are you going to do about it today? Are you going to obey him? Are you fully surrendered to him? So if he's asking you to give your life to Jesus for the first time, are you going to surrender your life and turn from your sin, trust Christ to be your Savior today? You know Christ, but you've never been baptized in obedience to him. Are you going to take a step forward today and to say, I need to be baptized in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? He wants you to affiliate with his church so that you can be a part of what God's doing here. Are you going to obey him today? 
If he's calling you in the ministry, are you going to surrender and say, God, I'm not running anymore, not giving any more excuses. I'm surrendering yes to your call. And God, if I need to confess sin, I'm going to confess to you and anyone else that I need to. And if you want to use me in my family or in the lives of someone else, God, use me to make a difference for you. Yes is my answer. Question number three, will you look up? See, the people of Israel had a choice. Get bit by a snake. They could look up and see the bronze serpent and live, or they could fail to look up and die. The good news today, you and I face that same crossroads. You and I have sinned against him. We've been bitten. The consequences of sin are serious and even death. We can look up and we can look at the one who was crucified on a cross, nailed on a cross for you and me, blood flowing from his body, crown of thorns over his head, a spear piercing his side. He died on, on the old rugged cross so that you and I could live. The challenge is, are you going to look up or are you going to turn away? I just challenge you, make sure you look up. Look to the one who loves you beyond what you can comprehend. Look to the one who suffered, bled, and died for your sin. Look to the one who can forgive you and change your life. Look to the one who can give you eternal life. You'll never, never be lost again. Look to him. He will change your life. As you and I come to the New Testament, right before John chapter 3, verse 16, what does the Bible say? Right before John chapter 3, verse 16, listen to these words. You think Numbers 21 is important? Absolutely, because here's what it says. And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Right before John 3, 16 is this reference. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The command then is the command today, lift up. Not a serpent now, but lift up the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who lived a perfect life, never sinned, died on a cross for you and me. You look to him and you will find eternal life. So I want us to bow our heads across this room and those who are watching. And I'm going to encourage you today, when you and I think about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, please understand this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's assignment, are you fully surrendered? Will you look up? And so I want to ask you again in the room and those who are watching, if you need the Lord Jesus Christ today, will you surrender your life to him right now? He'll change your life here in a moment. I want to encourage you, if you need to follow him in Bible baptism, Obey the leadership of Christ. If you need to join this church today in the invitation, just walk down an aisle. Come here. Our pastoral staff's going to be here. Our prayer team's going to be here as well. We want you to obey the leadership of Christ. He's calling you into ministry. Obey him. You need to confess a sin to him, but also maybe to someone else. You obey today. You need to be in a position to minister to your family or others God puts in your path. Come and just say, God, use me today like you use Moses. Use me. You can come to him just as you are. Broken, bruised, miserable, in bondage, dysfunctional. And you can walk away radically changed for the glory of God. Just as you are. He'll change your life. The Son of Man's lifted up.
And Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to myself. And I want to say those who are watching online, if you've got a need, you've got a prayer concern, you want to make a spiritual decision, you just comment to us on the platform you're watching. You send us an email at the address you see. And just like we're going to do in this room, we'll minister to every individual personally. We'll do the same for you. It would be an honor for us to serve Christ and to help you experience his grace and forgiveness and life in him. Come to him. Look up and come to him. And let him change your life. Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the victory we have in Christ. Thank you that we can come to you today just as we are. We can leave totally different because of who you are. And thank you that when we look to Jesus, we find life, not death. And so I pray today under the power of the Holy Spirit, those in the room and those who are watching would say yes to your invitation, whether it's to salvation, baptism, church membership, gospel ministry, confession, or even being used of you. They would say yes to you today, Lord. And we come to you today just as we are. The glory goes to you. We're leaving the results to you. But God, may we look to Jesus and find life today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. You come in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing together.